0: So today we're continuing our way through the, the book of Luke. Um, we go through books of the Bible section by section at Hope and and so we're we still in um, Luke chapter one. Uh, last week we looked at the, the meeting between Mary and her relative Elizabeth um, and John the Baptist is in the womb, Jesus is in the womb, John leaps in the womb, they all respond um, to to Christ, and so here we get to see Mar- more of Mary's response to the, the coming of, of Jesus into her life, and and there's a pew Bible near you if you didn't bring a Bible with you, um, and th- this passage, Luke chapter one, beginning of verse 46, it's on page 856, and so you can turn there and keep your your Bible open throughout our. Our time together, uh, but before I read the the passage, I, I did want to mention one thing. Um, you know, obviously when I'm preparing these messages, I I, I study the passage, but I use um, commentaries, and I think sometimes Christians in the pew don't always think about reading commentaries. Um, and there's there's some that are more technical, but. Um, just as we move through Luke, if you're going get to a, get a book, um, J.C. Ryle um, is really good. He's a guy from the 1800s, but he's really practical, really um, pastoral. Um, it's, it's useful. I was, I was laughing to, to Steve. I said, well, maybe I shouldn't recommend it because people say, now we know where you're getting your applications. And, uh, um, another good one is um, one by a guy named Phil Riken. He used to be a pastor of... Um, 10th Presbyterian um, Church. Um, It's great things just to read in your own personal um, devotional time. So again, Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 46. Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. He is sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her, Elizabeth, about three months and returned to her home. This is the, the word of God. Let's pray. Lord, we we magnify you. We rejoice in you. And Lord, if we're, if we're not magnifying you and rejoicing in you, Lord, we pray that, that we could leave here doing so, that you would do your, your work through your word in our hearts. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you were to, though, go up to your, your average Christian on, on the street, Um, from from different perspectives, and and you had a conversation about worship, you would hear a lot of different opinions, a lot of different thoughts. If you said, how do you worship, or how should you worship, you might hear people say, well, it's about having the the right style of music, or it's about having a a stylish hipster worship leader, or it's about having candles and incense, or it's about following tradition, or it's about not following tradition or defying tradition. Uh, in some way, and I think that that all of those things are you know they're important discussions to have. But in a lot of the the d- debates and arguments that that Christians have about worship, we'll actually forget some of just the foundational things about worship itself. And we see something actually very different in our passage today from the from the book of Luke. That in this passage, Mary is worshiping. She is responding to to God's work in her life by singing a, a song of praise. And sometimes this is called the, the Magnificat. Uh, the, it comes from the, the first word in the Latin version. And we've already, you may have noticed, used it in our worship. We used it for our call to worship. We used it for our uh, confession of sin. But really what we get here is this amazing window into the the worship of Mary, the way that she is singing praise to God. And I think it teaches us a lot about the, the priorities of worship. And, and really, that's what, what we'll look at from this passage are the priorities of worship. And, and in particular, we'll look at three. Uh, the first is that we need to know the Bible. The second is that we need to know God. And the third is that we need to know our relationship to God. So know the Bible, know God, and our relationship to God. And so the first thing here is that we, we need to know the Bible. And it's, it's really interesting um, how well Mary actually knew the Bible. And I think we, we miss it at first, because we don't always know the Old Testament as well as we should. But just in, in these verses, she quotes, echoes, alludes to the Old Testament about 25 times. And so it's just dripping and saturated with Scripture itself. And we, we won't go through all 25 examples, but I wanted to show you a few so that you can, you can see what I'm talking about. So if you actually turn to the Old Testament, the book of um, 1 Samuel, and if you're using the, the Pew Bible, this is on page 225, um, and th- this section of scripture tells the story of a, another godly woman in scripture um, named Hannah. And she had been pouring her, her heart out to the Lord because she was unable to have children. And eventually the Lord provided a, a child, Samuel, whom she dedicated to the, to the Lord's service. And then in, in chapter 2 of 1 Samuel, we see her um, pouring out her heart to the Lord in prayer, in worship and song. And just look at the, the first two verses there in particular. Um, it goes all the way from verse 1 to 10, but it says that Hannah prayed and said, my heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord, for there's none besides you. There is no rock like our God. So you notice that there, there are Differences, of course, but even as you keep going through, you start to see these similarities in, in the language where Mary says that she's magnifying the Lord, and then Hannah is exalting in the Lord. Uh, Mary is rejoicing in God her Savior, and then Hannah says that she rejoices in God's salvation. Uh, Mary says that the name of God is, is holy, and Hannah says that um, holy is your name, that there's none holy like the Lord and you know you could keep going and so clearly uh, Mary is, is drawing on the language the the vocabulary of Hannah's prayer of worship to then express her own worship to the Lord. Here are a few other examples from from other parts of scripture too that Mary magnifies the Lord and then Psalm 40 sorry 34 verse 3 says oh magnify the Lord. Or Mary rejoices in God, her Savior, and then Isaiah uh, chapter 61, verse 10 says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. And it says that the Lord has clothed us with salvation. That Mary says that the mercy of the Lord is for those who fear him. And then Psalm 103, verse 13 says that the, the compassion, the mercy of the Lord is for those who fear him. So, so again, it's, it's drawing on the, the language, the vocabulary, of Scripture, and actually, this has led some people, especially scholars, secular scholars, to say, "Well, you know, Mary, she there, she there's no way that she could say this kind of poetic, um, deep, biblically rooted thing. She's a young girl from from Nazareth. So maybe this isn't originally from Mary. Maybe it's something the church made up or, or Luke made up." Um, and, you know, honestly, I don't think any of those objections hold water. That Even historically, we know that, that Israelites were very saturated with the study of Scripture. And, and even a, a young girl like Mary from Nazareth, she would have sung the Psalms uh, as part of worship. She would have heard the, the Scriptures read and expounded, both in the language that she probably spoke at home, Aramaic, and also in Hebrew. So she had... Plenty of opportunities to familiarize herself with the, the words of Scripture. But at the same time, though, I, I don't think that probably just your average young girl in Nazareth had the same depth of understanding. And so it's, it's, it points to the fact that, that Mary was actually paying attention uh, when the Scripture was being read, when it was being sung. She probably didn't have, you know, copies of the Torah at home by her bedstand. Um, and so it's something that she would have had to to, to listen and 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 bring into her life um, just by, by paying attention to what she was singing and and hearing. And you know, and I think that um, th- this then shows that when she has the opportunity to then praise God and respond, um, what comes out for her then is not just her own words, but it's actually what she's been filling her heart with, what she's been marinating in, what she's been soaking in, what she's uh, been trying to put down deep in herself. The the Bible says that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so for Mary, when the abundance of her heart pours out, it's actually the words, the themes, the cadence, even the the poetry (laughs) of scripture pours out from her lips and her life. And this is something that that I've noticed over the years from some of the most godly people that I know, that uh, when they pray, so often scripture is being referenced or biblical language, biblical themes. And for a while I thought, well, maybe they're just trying to kind of show off, (laughs) look at how many passages of scripture I can string together in, in prayer. And, and definitely we always have to avoid you know, trying to, to show off the amount of Bible that we, we know. But I, I, I realize that so often I think people who are, are saturated with Scripture and meditating on the Word of God uh, day and night um, and, and feeding on it, that it's the abundance of their heart. It's what's going to flow out when they have the opportunity to, to pray and, and reach out to God. Now, that doesn't mean that, that we should be afraid to pray out loud if you, if you don't do that. Um, I mean, we have, that God does want us to just pray to him sincerely from the, the place of where we are. We don't have to wait till, you know we have vast quantities of scripture uh, memorized. But it's also, though, one of the reasons that it is so important for us to be really digging down deep into scripture ourselves and, and studying the Bible so that we understand it more. So some of the ways that, that we do that um, are, one is through public teaching, public preaching. And as I was saying, that's probably how Mary got so much of her knowledge of Scripture was by by listening really carefully to the things that she heard, probably in a society that uh, was more used to to orally having to, to learn. Um, and, and that's true of, of us at, at Hope. When we're studying Scripture together, we're not taking a break in the middle of our worship service to do something... You know, academic, and then we'll wrap up with a little bit of worship. But it's actually an act of worship. That worship is a, is this back and forth between us and God where we're listening to him, and he's planting his word down deep in us, and then it can grow out again and expand and then, and then come out in different ways, whether it's in prayer or song or love or, or service to, to people around us. But it's not then that, that our internalizing and marinating in Scripture just stops when we walk out of the building, because beyond anyone else in history, we have so much access to Scripture. We have more access than any other generation, any other people. I mean, we have the phone. We have the Bible on our phone. We have it on our Kindles. We have it in large print and small print and study Bibles, and uh, probably have multiple copies of it. And yet, we're probably some of the most Biblically illiterate people who've had access to Scripture, um, and and so that that's why I think it, it is so important for us to be moving through Scripture ourselves, reading the Bible, reading it from from cover to cover, even you know following whether it's a read through the Bible and a in a year plan, but but soaking in Scripture, not just the parts that we are already know that we already love, but actually the the whole counsel of God, all that He is spoken and said that that shapes us and impacts us and and it determines what is the abundance of our heart and what is going to pour out um, but of course as we're as we're doing that we can also actually sit down and memorize scripture um, and i think that mary probably had scripture memorized i mean there are, again she's using the language very specifically that and i think that often for the language to just naturally flow out it's when we've actually taken the time to To rest on it, but also one of the great ways to internalize and memorize scripture is actually through singing. That, uh, I mean, Mary, Jesus—they grew up singing scripture, singing psalms, and singing has this really unique way of of just planting truths really deep down in our hearts. And some of you may have heard me say this before, but I've been to nursing homes where people they don't remember their own names. But yet they can sing all the verses of the songs that they internalized as a child. They they don't know their, their children's names, but yet they can proclaim the holiness and the, the beauty and the justice and the glory of of God's name. And it's because they, they have this this planted down deep in their, their hearts, and out of the abundance of the heart the the mouth speaks. And that's why it, it's important to think about the, the songs that, that were we're singing, whether they're, they're new, whether they're, they're old, but so many of the, the greatest songs, new and old of, of, of the church, are ones that are, are dripping with scripture. Maybe they're directly scripture. Um, sometimes it's, if it's interesting, just look through the uh, songs we sing and how often it's just directly words of the Bible. Or if it's not directly the, just one passage of the Bible, it's cobbling together language of the Bible, and so, so then that, that's planted down deep, and it begins to, to flow out from, from us. And I mean, that's why even here we sing the same songs more than once, because it's part of, as our worship together, um, internalizing these things. Um, and so that when, we, when we come in to worship together, we're worshiping as people who have been sitting in Scripture, whether that is reading it ourselves, memorizing, singing, and then it, it flows out in our, in our worship and our praise of God. And I know that that's the kind of worship that I want for myself. <laughs> that's the kind of worship I would love to see where we're all coming and bringing that to the, to the table. And so that's really the, the first priority of worship that we see here from Mary, that we need to know the Bible. But the second priority is that we need to know God, uh, because Bible knowledge isn't an end within itself. Uh, the the Bible says that, that knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. And and so when we're reading the Bible, it's not just like reading any other book. We're not just reading it for facts or just data, uh, but it's actually God's revelation of himself, that he is telling us about himself and what he has done. And so if we're really actually reading and paying attention to scripture, we're coming into contact, we're encountering the Holy God of the universe. And this is what we see here in, in Mary's song of praise. She's not just biblically literate, she is, but she's just deeply aware of the glory and the, and the majesty of God and who he is. And just as a, an example of this, um, notice just all that shines through about God from her words. And here's some, some examples, um, seven examples. Uh, the first one is that God is the Lord. Look at verse 46. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord. And so God isn't just the, the watchmaker who got the world moving, but he is the Lord who rules and governs, is the covenant God engaged with his people Then second, that that God is Savior. Verse 47, she says, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. That God has actually acted in history to save his people in Christ by his love and his mercy. And then third, God is the, the mighty one. Verse 49, she says, for who is mighty has done great, he who is mighty has done great things for me. So by saying God is mighty, that he's all-powerful, he's in control, he's sovereign. That's even what she means later on in verse 51 when she says that that it talks about the strength of of God's arm. And then fourth, God is holy. Uh, Again, verse 49, For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name that God's name is holy. We just prayed that in the Lord's Prayer, hallowed be thy name. Uh, we we honor the, the name of God because he's perfectly set apart from everything that is unholy, that that's not true. He's completely righteous and, and just in himself. And that's even why Mary talks about that those who fear the Lord, that, that we, we fear the holiness of God, not as a kind of servile fear of a servant to a master, but this, this fear and awe and reverence of the, the holiness and the justice and the the majesty of God as our Father. But then also, fifth, that that God is, is merciful. Verse 50, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. And then verse 54, he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. So God isn't a cruel dictator. He isn't um, somebody who's out to get us, but he's a, he's a God of, of mercy, a, a merciful judge who, who has compassion on, on the weak and, and the lowly and even shows his grace and his mercy and his love to those who, who don't deserve it like us. Um, and then six, God is the, a humbler of the proud and an exalter of the weak. And it, Mary says that he scattered the proud in the thoughts of his heart, He's brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He's filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he sends away empty. And this is talking about God's pattern throughout history, that, that he's the God who opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. He's the God who created uh, this, this upside-down kingdom by choosing what is weak and foolish in the world to, to shame the wise. And, and he came... In himself, in Christ, as one who came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a, as a ransom for many as he washed the, the feet of his disciples. And then seventh, and finally, that God is the, the covenant-keeping God. And that's why in, in verse 54, Mary talks about the fact that God is, has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, that he, as he spoke to our father, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And so God is the God who actually entered into covenant with his people, and he, he revealed that to, to Abraham, to Israel, to uh, Moses, to David, throughout history, culminating in, in the coming of Christ as, as the Messiah. And so, clearly, Mary has a lot to say about God here. That, that, that is her focus. It's not just random passages of Scripture that she's drawing on. Um, and she could really have written a very rich, dense, systematic theology of who God is. But what she does instead is she com- composes this hymn of, of praise. And I, and I really think that, again, the best songs that have been sung, new, old, are the ones that are saturated and consumed with the glory of God and, and proclaiming who he is in this, in this rich biblical Way. And I think that, that the sweetest worship comes when we have this sort of balanced, exalted view of who God is that, that just pours out from Mary. That it's, it's not this man centered kind of worship, but it is deeply God centered worship for the Lord. And I think that so often, just the poverty of, of our worship, um, whether it's together or individually, comes because we're, we, we're not deeply reflecting on who God is and what he has done and on his faithfulness from generation to, to generation. And, and when we, we read the Bible, we ask good questions, but they're so often only focused on ourselves. We're always wanting to just immediately get to what is practical, where we say, how does this help me be happy? How does this help me have a better marriage? How does this help me be a better employee or, or whatever it is? And, and don't get me wrong, the Bible is deeply, deeply practical, and the Bible speaks into those things. But so often, I think when we start with, how is it practical for me right here, right now, that actually we miss the practicality of vast stretches of Scripture. But if we actually start with God, it's different. It's different. An, an example of this is is actually if if you, you know, if you've tried to read through the Bible in a year, you you get stuck about in Leviticus, um, and and you there are these detailed laws about sacrifice and and you know this is how you bring the animal in, how you you pour out its blood on the altar and all these things. And so we kind of think, okay, this is not practical. Skip to the story, exciting stories uh, later on, and it's because we're only thinking about it from the, just the immediate practicality of it to us and animal sacrifices have been abolished by the work of Christ. We don't have to bring it here, thankfully. Um, and so we don't need a handbook on animal sacrifice for the daily worship of Hope Church. And so that's why I think we, we skip it. But then if we were to, to be thinking instead, what does this actually teach about who God is? Then suddenly you start to see a lot of stuff that you didn't see before wait, God is so holy that unholy people can't approach him without the sacrifice of an animal. God is so just that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And God is so merciful that he would even provide a way for unholy people to come before him and to come into his presence for worship. And then from that vantage point, then suddenly it starts to become incredibly practical, because then when you are struggling in your marriage or your work or whatever it is, you, you have this view of God is, but you say, no, God, he, he loves me, and he's made a way for me to come to him, so my identity is, is rooted in him, and it, 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 it comes alive, and I think that for all of us, whatever we're reading in, Bi- in the Bible, that is the first starting place of, of who is God, and as we start there, then, then our, our worship and our, our praise comes alive like it never would before and that's exactly what we see here from from Mary and it's that the second priority of worship that we need to know God but then the the third and final priority is that we need to know our relationship to God and this is something that there's a theologian John Calvin in his famous book Institutes of Christian religion at the very beginning he talks about wisdom true wisdom consists of two parts, and he says it's knowledge of God, we have to know who he is, and then knowledge of ourselves, that we have to know who, who we are, and it's hard to tell sometimes which one comes first, because if we don't really know who we are until we confront who God is, and we see ourselves in light of him. But then as we come before God, then we have to ask, who are we actually in relationship to him? And this is something that, that we see very clearly as well with, with Mary, that she she knows a whole lot about God, and it's shining forth through everything that she says. But she also knows a a lot about her individual, personal relationship to God. She doesn't call God just a Savior, but notice that she calls God my Savior, that that she knows God personally as her Savior. She doesn't just say that God has done great things generally in the world and and creation but but she says that God has done great things for for me for for her that this is this kind of deep personal profound relationship with God so it's it's not a dead orthodoxy that just knows everything to say about about God and it's not just an awe and light of some sort of vague grand power of the universe but it's a picture of actually what it looks like to come before and to worship God that we actually know personally. And it's because actually knowing God, truly knowing him, not just knowing about him, is absolutely foundational if we're going to actually worship him. And I think an illustration of that would be, um, imagine you meet somebody, and he's talking about his girlfriend. And he says, Oh, yeah, she's she's really great. He knows her favorite color, her favorite books, where she grew up. He knows everything about her. And you think, wow, these, they have a really great relationship. And then you find out that you know it's his neighbor and they've never actually met. <laughs> um, and, and there's he knows everything about her, but there's actually no personal relationship and personal connection. And he was like, oh, okay, that's not that's not healthy. That's a stalker. <laughs> uh the, yeah, um and but i think that that that's so often what we do with god where we we know about him we can list things about him but we don't actually know him and we've never actually encountered him personally ourselves and so we can't say that he is my savior maybe he's a savior we can't say that he's done great things for me we can't say that he's looked on on my humble estate and so then what we do in religion then just becomes going through motions. It's formalism, uh, maybe even hypocrisy. It's an abstraction. But it's not actually true biblical worship. And so maybe that's where you think you realize, well, maybe that's where I am today. Um, and if so, whether it's your first time in church or you've been in church your whole life, what, what God offers us in the gospel is not an abstraction, but actually a relationship with himself. And it's, it's a relationship that he himself initiates, that he himself maintains, and we respond, and that our response, the way to enter into that personal relationship is to admit we can't do it, <laughs> uh, and to admit that there's nothing we ever could do, and to trust completely in him. And it, and it begins and starts that, that relationship that then continues to, to grow. But it's not just though an individual relationship that we find in Christ. It's also this corporate relationship with God it, as the church together, because I think as Americans, um, you know rugged Western individualism, um, that we we are are fairly comfortable with the idea of, yeah, it's it's personal relationship, me and God, you know, me and my Bible, that's enough. But we see something so different from Mary here in, in her song of praise. Notice that in, in verse 46 to 50, she's speaking in the first person. She's talking about her own individual response, relationship to God. But then verse 50 to, to 55, she begins to move into the, this corporate dimension of, of her relationship to God as a member of God's covenant people as part of of Israel itself. And so God hasn't just been faithful to her, but he's been faithful to her people, that, that the faithfulness isn't a, this isolated thing, but it's something that is it's from generation to generation of those who, who fear him. That is something that's been displayed in, in Abraham and it's bigger, far bigger than just her and her own individual experience of God and his faithfulness. And so it's, it's the same thing for us here, that when we come to Christ, when we find that personal, individual relationship, then we're gathered with others who have found the personal, individual relationship with Jesus. And what we celebrate when we, and as we worship and we, and we respond to God is, yes, his work to, for me, but also his, his work among us. His work among us is in Hope Church, is the churches in our region, the churches in the world— of uh, the churches throughout time and, and history, that it's it's far bigger than us here. And so when we gather for worship, then that's why we sing together. We sing words ancient, we sing modern modern songs, we sing we join our voices in um, liturgy, we join our voices to confess our our faith um, together. because it's all of these things coming together as one. And really it, it's everything that we've been saying. That that comes together here in the Lord's Supper. That the priority of worship is, is knowing the Bible, and and this meal is a picture of the, the story of the Bible, and and it's something that was instituted in the Bible, um, and it's it always follows the preaching of God's word because it's flowing out of the word of God, an ex- expression of that of that response to. To him, it shows us so much of who God is that he sent his son to take on flesh for us to, to live and to die and to to rise again from the dead. And that his body was broken, his blood was shed um, as a substitute in our place so that we can be forgiven. So God is, is merciful and just and, and, and loving and, and good. And then also we confront what is our actual personal relationship with God that this meal drives home and forces us to say where am I in relationship to God